Welcome to the Rocks Podcast. The book of James brings a nice balance to the other New Testament letters. The Apostle Paul emphasizes that we are saved by faith alone and not by works. James, on the other hand, reminds us that true faith will produce good works, for faith without works is dead. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this very practical epistle. And Priscilla Torado survives because of the heroic efforts there of a man named Lenny Skutnik. Somebody, just the perfect name for the ordinary Joe who gets, in this case, the ordinary Lenny, who gets involved. Here's what he said. I realize she's not going to make it. Something just hits me. Another human being in very serious trouble. So I dive in after her. This is the response that James is looking for here from you and from me in a spiritual sense as he closes out his letter to these troubled churches. He's looking for a hero. Lenny Skutnik, not in the Coast Guard, not trained, not paid to be there, not a paramedic, not a firefighter. Does it know Priscilla Torado personally? But he gets involved. He takes a risk. He swims out 30 feet into icy waters and saves a life. Now, in a much more profound way and in a spiritual and eternal sense, that's the whole point of the gospel, which is the good news, that lives would be saved. The Lord said in one sentence, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, let me tell you why I came. One sentence. I came to seek and save the lost. One sentence, one verse, Luke 19.10. That is why I came. One writer said it this way. The Son of God came to seek and save the lost, and upon the same errand he has sent the church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever trusts in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The core of the gospel The theme of the book, which is Greek, Biblos, for the Bible. The theme, the overarching truth that we find, 66 books, one message. God came to seek and save the lost, and he is asking of his people in God's economy, the one rescued becomes rescuer. And that is how God works. He does his saving work through you and me, or it does not get done. And so this morning, James, speaking to a very troubled church, the context is he's just telling them how to get right with God. 
And he's winding down. He's been saying, listen, folks, this is crazy. You're compromised. You're backsliding. This is a terrible situation. Let me tell you how to get back. Humble yourselves before God because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then he's saying, come and consecrate yourself back and you will be made right with God. He will sozo you. He will make you whole. He will save you. And then his last breath was, and the prayers of somebody put right with God are powerful and effective. And the next breath is now that you have been put right with God, now help the others around you to come safe to shore, to be out of harm's way. Because my friend, the Bible speaks of a fate worse than that, that awaits those who wander from the path of truth, And so that's the context. Let's look at verse 19 and 20, the two verses, one sentence that remains. Why don't we read it together out loud? I am reading from the New International Version, not the brand new one, the 1984, in case you are wondering about some differences there. All right, let's read it together. Ready? Start reading at verse 19. My brothers... If one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And so he's saying, you know, you get right with God. We're all happy about it. The angels will burst into applause, especially if you are coming to Christ for the very first time. That's all well and good, but look around you. There are others still in the water. How pitiful and nasty of a picture of somebody who would climb into a lifeboat and have people clinging on and close to the lifeboat behind you and you just satisfied in your own state of affairs that I am out of the water, I am safe, I'm in the boat. Who cares about them? That's not the way the gospel works. And James is saying that to these people, it's not enough that you make it to shore, that you get put right with God. You've got a job to do. There are others in the water who are depending on you. And what a perfect closing. Uh, I mean, so, so if you didn't see it with your own eyes, you wouldn't know that we were ending by the way things just abruptly end there. And James' first hearers listening to this epistle read weren't ready for the abrupt close, but that's how he wants to close. He wants to say, okay, there's a way to get right with God now. Any heroes out there? Once you get right with God, turn and help your brothers and your sisters who are wandering, who are still in the icy waters. And so this text really um, neatly divides into three ideas for you note takers. Number one, the sad reality. Christians wander. Two, the honorable duty. It's my moral obligation to work with the Lord to help others, 
to bring back wanderers. And three, the priceless reward that when we are used by God, we can save a life. We can, by our efforts in cooperation with God who does the saving, obviously that's a given, but we can see multitudes of sins erased forever. Let's start with a sad reality. Number one, unbelievers are not the only dumbbells on the planet. (laughs) Christians and believers can also wander from the truth. They can stray off course. They can lose their bearings in the Lord. Here's a paraphrase. My dear brothers and sisters, if one of you, if one of you, my dear brothers and sisters, if one of you, brothers or sisters, in the church, one of you believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, strays from Jesus, and wanders off from the truth of the gospel, someone needs to bring them back. And so he's saying it's possible for believers who have come into the kingdom of God and the truth has set your heart free to wander. And it's precisely how this church got into a chaotic, pathetic, compromised, sinful mess that it's in. Look at that place. They're slandering, they're gossiping, they're, they're, they're hating one another, they're poisoned with bitterness, they're callous to the needs of uh, the poor, they're envying one another. He says, and your tongues are on fire from hell, you guys. And how did that happen? It happened because there was some wandering involved. Now, first of all, the word for wander there in the Greek is planao, where we get our English word, planet. It means to move in space, to uh, be adrift. And where we get the word planet is because planets are on the move. They are not fixed in one place, but they, they do some wandering. And so that's what the word means, literally to wander or stray. In Matthew 18, the Pharisees Uh, are bent out of shape because Jesus is hanging out with sinners and messed up people. And Jesus says, hey, what do you guys think? There in Matthew 18. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders, planeo, away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? Planeo, same word there. And so sheep wander It's part of their job description. (laughs) From the L.A. Times archives, I'm reading, the commute on the Simi Valley Freeway got a bit woolly Monday morning (laughs) when a flock of 50 sheep wandered onto the freeway, blocking westbound traffic for about 20 minutes. The sheep escaped from a nearby pasture at 7.50 a.m. and walked onto the westbound lanes of the freeway near the Reseda Boulevard exit, said California Highway Patrol officer. 20 minutes later, two highway patrol cars and a tow truck. I don't know what they needed the tow truck for, (laughs) but I laugh every time I read that. (laughs) Arrived to herd the flock off the roadway. (laughs) 
she, she, she said, she said, in the, in the past, an occasional, here's the article, in the past, an occasional sheep has wandered into traffic in the same stretch of freeway, she said, but Monday was the first time that an entire flock made the commute onto the freeway, she said. Now, James' entire flock had made it onto the freeway of the world and is now in harm's way. There's a bumper sticker I love to hate, and I mentioned it to you before. Not all who wander are lost. All you have to do is go to dictionary.com, plug in wander, and you'll find out that all who wander are lost. (laughs) Now, Go ahead, you who think that not all who wander are lost. Tell that to the city workers who have to pick up all the roadkill on the side of the road. Tell that to all the search and rescue people who have to, in Tahoe, who have to go find people who have wandered off the trail. Here's the truth, God's bumper sticker. A man who strays or wanders from the path of understanding comes to rest in the company of the dead. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 16. So we have good news and bad news here. We read it this morning, Psalm 100, verse 3. You read it with me. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. He describes us as sheep for a reason. You know, he doesn't call us the stallions of his barn. You know, the Clydesdales. Yeah, no. No, 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 no. He says, that's not you. You're more like the sheep. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It doesn't even make sense, but it's encoded in me. My GPS is broken, and it broke in a fall. And it was my mother and my father, Adam and Eve, who fell and broke it forever until the Holy Spirit comes into a a heart and, and transforms it and restores our sense of what's right and where's true north. If we're all... Honest, we would have to say we have a lot in common with Lot's wife. Constantly looking back at the uh, sinful, prohibited, uh, greener pastures and causing a lot of trouble. The word planao also means deceived, to be led away from the truth, to sin, to fall away From truth. And so when Jesus says in Matthew 24 and verse 9, see to it, watch yourself that you be not deceived. The word for deceived is be not planao. Do not be deceived and wander off. The idea is in a deceptive way to lose your bearings. Now that would explain why a perfectly good Christian would wander away from the perfectly good. Truth. It's a slow, deceptive letting go of the anchor of right and wrong and what's true. It's hard to believe that anybody could come to know the knowledge of the truth. And Jesus in John 8 says, you will know the truth 
and it will set you free. It's so sad and such a pathetic reality that still the sin nature that prone that is prone to wander survives conversion. The Holy Spirit is given to us that we could be able to control that beast within that always wants to lead us in the wrong way and, and help us to drift away from the truth. The word for truth is the Greek word aletheia. And what it, biblically, what is it? You might be saying, well, what is truth? Well, Pontius Pilate had the same question. In John 18, he says to Jesus, who stood before him, You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this very reason I was born. For this very reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. All on the side of truth, listen to me. And then Pilate says, what is truth? (laughs) And Jesus, the Son of God, has no answer because he just told him. And it's not going to do Pilate any good for Jesus to say another word to him. When God doesn't have anything left to say to you, my friend, there's trouble. And there was trouble for Pontius Pilate that day. The word... Of God is truth. John 17, verse 17. The gospel is called the truth in the New Testament. What is the gospel? Well, it's simple. God is the creator of all things in the universe. Man rebelled and became a sinner. And because of that sin, death spread to all men. God became a man through Jesus Christ to save the world. Died on the cross as a payment for our sins dead, buried, resurrected from the dead, that whoever trusts in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He is gone to prepare a place for us to return to judge the world and to establish a kingdom where righteousness and truth reign forever and ever. That is the aletheia, the truth. And once we come to know that truth, it is an anchor of our soul. And Jesus just gave the cliff note version to say to Thomas on the night that he was betrayed, he said at that last supper, they said, Lord, we are freaked out. You're talking about leaving and going and leaving us here. They're surrounding us. He said, Thomas, chill. (laughs) Don't panic. He said, we don't know where you're going. He said, yes, you do. Because I am the way. I am the aletheia. I am the truth. The truth is found not on earth, not in man's mind, but it comes from heaven because it's the embodiment of all God is and all God knows and all God has. He is the truth. And when you drift away from Jesus, the person of Jesus, you have drifted away from the truth and are in terrible harm's way. And so that's what's going on. But it's crazy to me that these Christians were started tasting the living water that satisfies your thirst. They ate of the bread of life that satisfies hunger and longings. 
They experienced the love of God, forgiveness of sins. They had a clean conscience. They knew what it was like to go to bed with a peace that passes understanding. They had a light in their eyes. They had a smile on their face. They had tears in their eyes. They had peace in their hearts. And they had a new direction and power in life. They were laying down in green pastures, being led by still waters. They had God the shepherd to guide them through life. But what happened? 1 Corinthians 15, 2, Paul says, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. What happened to anybody who wanders as a brother or sister in Christ? You let go. Slowly, consistently, Your missteps are because you created an allowed space between you and the truth. Now, let me say here that these to whom James is writing have believed in vain, meaning that they're not enjoying the benefits and the wonderful uh, pleasure of being right with God. They were professing to know God, but, you know, there was no peace, no love, no joy, no nothing. So he had to say, you know, you may be saved, but you have nothing to show for it. Faith without works is like dead. And so that's what was going on there. Let me just say this. Although the scriptures teach that once a person is regenerated, he can never be lost. It does teach that we can shipwreck our faith and forfeit great reward in this life and certainly in the life to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. You shall be saved, but as escaping the flames with zero to show for it in the life to come. Saved because it has nothing to do with you. Saved because you had faith. Saved because God showed you mercy. You can't regenerate yourself. You can't earn it. You were saved eternally. When you turn to God, you're truly regenerated. You're regenerated to the end. You have the option as a free citizen of America to ruin your own life if you'd like to as a Christian. You have the right to wander from the truth as so many of our acquaintances have and do. But you cannot lose your salvation. Here are some scriptures for you to look up later for assurance of salvation. John 10, 27 through 29. Romans 8. 35 through 39. 1 Peter 1 5. John 6 37 to 39. Ephesians 1 13 through 14. And here is the kingpin. One sentence how I know once you come to know Jesus, you make it all the way to the end. You cannot lose it. One sentence silences every other argument. One sentence. Jesus said, let me tell you what I will say to those at the great white throne judgment. Here's what I will say to them. Depart from me, you who do evil. I never knew you. Now, if one, just one of those who have an appointment at the great white throne judgment, if just one of them had come to know him in life, but walked away and lost their salvation, Jesus' words would be untrue. 
He said, what I will tell them in that day is we never met, period. End of debate. Jesus is not a liar. If you've met him, you will see him again as a dearly loved son or daughter, whatever is going on. But you do have the opportunity to wander, unfortunately. So what happened with them? Well, nice start as we all start out in the barn, safe with provision and the shepherd, and we're all so happy. And then what happened? The world comes calling and says, look at how much fun you're missing. Look at all the things you could accumulate and be happy, happy, happy like us. You could be free. And then what happens? Well, you make a choice. In Colossians chapter 4, Demas is a beloved brother and traveling missionary uh, compadre of the Apostle Paul. And Paul signs off to the Colossians and he says, Demas, our beloved brother, salutes you, greets you. But by the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Demas has deserted me for he has loved the world. He wandered away because the world came calling. Number two, the devil came prowling. Paul says to the Galatians, you were running such a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. Hmm. Spiritual warfare. If you're not vigilant, you can wander because you have an enemy, the devil, who prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, resist him. If you do not resist him and you start down his little bunny path, A to B, B to C, C to D, D to E, you wake up down at X, Y, and Z and wonder how you got there. That's what he does. Interesting note in John 8 when Jesus says about the devil, he is a murderer. For he has not held to the truth. That was his original problem. He strayed from the truth, and therefore that's his forte. That's his attack to Christians. Be like me. Don't hold to the truth. That's what he said to Eve in the garden as well. And then thirdly, the sinful nature gained the upper hand. As I said before, it survives conversion Each person is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away, wanders, and is enticed. Cain was up to no good. The Lord spoke directly into his heart and life and said, Cain, listen, I see what's going on here. Heads up. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must master it. That is the theme over every Christian's life. Who in this room does not know that there's a lioness of sin and uh, crouched at your door? You give you 10 seconds in the wrong place at the wrong time and you will be mastered by it. That's why we need to be vigilant. And people who wander are just careless. And not vigilant. A little click here. A little going here. A little allowing here. And then you wake up suddenly and you're way out there. Adrift. 
Let somebody just say this to me. How did I get here? And he said, I don't even know how this happened. And I said, yes, you do. You know exactly how it happened. Let's start with Bible reading. Did it increase, stay the same, or diminish? Let's start with corporate worship and church attendance. Did it increase, stay the same, or diminish? Let's start with your thought life. Let's start with the clicking and the porn. Let's start with all of these things. And then tell me you have no idea how you wandered off into the freeway now. You're supposed to not know how you got there. That's the whole point of deception. And who's deceiving you? James says in chapter 1, verse 22, don't deceive yourself. You can't even say, oh, I got deceived from an outside source. No. Your own sinful self said, oh, I'm being deceived. Ah, nice. (laughs) And you went off. And now you find yourself lost. I love the song that's uh, casting crowns, the chorus. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Watch yourself, lest you be planao. So then, truth needs to be guarded. 1 Timothy 6.20. Truth needs to be held on to. Revelation 2.25. Truth needs to be lived out. 2 Corinthians 4.2. Truth needs to be loved. 2 Thessalonians 2.10. Truth needs to be embraced. Ephesians 1 verse 25. We need to speak the truth, Ephesians 4.15, in love. And whatever things are true, think on these things, and the God of peace will be with you, Philippians 4.8. So, a sad reality, believers wander. So, number two, now the honorable duty, looking for some heroes. Keep bringing each other back to the truth, and here in lies all a Christian duty, our moral obligations to love the brothers. Here's the paraphrase. If some silly-minded sheep you know is precariously wandering from the truth, hello, someone should bring them back to their senses, to the safety of the fold. Now, yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper, And we are, James says. James is saying to you and to me, where's your brother? Are you going to have a godly response when the Lord says, where's your brother? Or are you going to say, what am I? My brother's keeper. (laughs) Only a murderer would say that. Not my responsibility. Oh, fine. You get all of your sins washed away. Past, present, future. You get eternal life for doing nothing. You will escape the flames of hell and the wrath of God. You will stand in heaven forever and ever and reign and rule with Christ. Not because of anything righteous you've done. And you won't help somebody else to experience it. That There's a problem with you. There's a problem with us. 
Watch yourself. We need to watch ourselves. So he says, you are to restore the wanderer. We're co-workers with the Lord. We're fishers of men, whether they're perishing unbelievers or wandering believers. We're the light of the world, whether they're blinded atheists or temporarily blinded Christians. We are ambassadors for Christ, whether they need to know him for the first time or become reacquainted with him, the one that they profess to know. I love this quote. If we have a moral obligation to have a heart for the lost outside of Christ, how much more for our brothers and sisters in the church family who are wandering? Now, here's what Paul says. Give us some principles for restoring Wanderers, He says in Galatians chapter 1, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you may be tempted as well. So I love what he says there. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Get this. He's saying when you watch out for your brother and sister and you show them that kind of love, and you're in the business of saving wanderers, he's saying... You're really, in essence, doing everything Jesus could command. You're fulfilling the law of Christ when you love people like that, because that's what all God is all about. And if that's what you're about, Paul is saying, wow, you got the whole thing when you're a rescuer. Now, we're going to talk about what that looks like. First of all, it's so interesting to me that he says, one of you should do something about it. Is one of you wandering away and doctrinally or behaviorally? You see it happening? Someone, one of you, should do something. It doesn't say, pastor, where's your pastor? Where's the pastor? He needs to get busy, do his job. Isn't that what he's paid for? He went to seminary? Oh, no, it doesn't say that. It says, one of you. There are people that I can't reach that are within your sphere of influence, I will never get to your school and by your locker. I will never get to your sports team. I will never be at your table for Thanksgiving. Well, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I would like to be. I'm not going to be in your carpool. I'm not in the cubicle next year. I'm not at the coffee break. I seriously, I covet some of those positions because I would love to get at those people. And you know I would. (laughs) But that's your job. One of you. I don't speak their language. I'm not the right person. I've got a job to do. I have a sphere of influence. And it's not just in these four walls. That's wherever I go. It's wherever I go. It's wherever you go as well. And so we're going to talk about that. I just love that. Do you know he doesn't even say, hey, if one of you has wandered, God will bring him back doesn't even say God will do it. He says you should do it because God needs a mouth and he needs hands. He needs feet. We are his hands. We are his feet. We speak for him. We're ambassadors. Wow. What's the task? He says you should epistrapho him, turn him. It just means, you know, to turn Honestly, when the woman with the hemorrhage tugged at Jesus' robe in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus epistrapho turned. 
if any of you should go to the wanderer and convert, King James Version word, convert them, turn them. That's what he's asking us to do. Here's some rules, because it's no easy task. Here are uh, four quickies to help you understand what we may be needing to do here. Number one, we restore a wanderer to God's truth, not your own personal interpretation of what the person needs, how they need to live, or how we feel they're erring. You see, this is not a license to people who like to meddle into other people's affairs. This isn't a call to the congregational police to start to, to, to save all the wanderers. There are people who like to do these things and, and, and get an idea in their head. God told me to tell you, you have a spirit of unforgiveness. Be really careful with what you say God told you to do because you could be wrong and then you're blaspheming. You can say, God put it on my heart, but you know what? Where things that you don't know, this is a call to, you know, thou shalt not fornicate, okay? And the person's living with his girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. (laughs) You need to be able to talk about those kinds of issues. Number two, restore a wanderer. Well, first, restore yourself. Jesus said, you know what? It just doesn't work for you to, we're going to do away with that. It just doesn't, thank you. It just doesn't uh, work for you, Jesus says, with a big honking beam coming out of your face for you to go up to somebody and say, oh, my friend, I do see you have a problem with the little speck. Let me help you. And you got a whole tree hanging out of the side of your head. So Jesus says, you know what, folks? It doesn't work. You will not restore a wanderer when you are growing a plant out of your head. All right? Well, let me help you with your self-control and pornography. Oh, excuse me. Oh, oh, I just noticed a girl that walked by. You know? No, it doesn't work. You don't need to be perfect before you're restoring a wanderer. But you better have the major things taken care of, all right? Because Jesus said, you be a hypocrite. You can't just walk in. You need to deal with this. This will help you to be sympathetic, empathetic, humble, prayerful, patient. These are things that we need to do. And now, number three, restore a wanderer gently. This is the hardest advice of all because wanderers are no fun to deal with. They're angry, apathetic, hard-hearted, deceived. Some of them. Some of them are not willfully rebellious. They've been shocked by some trauma and they're just out there. But by and large, a wanderer is a problem. Listen to this. Proverbs 9, verse 7, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. In other words, they're in a season of wickedness. They're in a season of doing their own thing. They're not going to embrace you and say, oh, I've been waiting for somebody to tell me how wrong I've been. And oh, and now how do I get back? Just 
tell me. Okay, I'm going to stop right now. Let's pray together. No, it's not going to happen. They're going to get mad. They're going to tick you off. And what's really, really hard is, is that they're hurting people you love. They're hurting you. They're, they're disgracing the name of the Lord. A lot of damage is being done. And they know better wanderers who are Christian. That is infuriating. And if you can't go to the wanderer with blood pressure 120 over 80 <laughs> and keep it that way, you ought to let the Lord send somebody else. Because no one, no one will receive anything from you when you're ticked off at the person. So watch yourself. Be gentle, meek, patient. When you quote a scripture to a wanderer, it better not be flippantly or self-righteously. No one cares. First of all, A, wandering Christians know the scriptures. You're not going to say, oh, by the way, it says in the Bible, they're going to say, oh, you're kidding me. Use the word of God, but in humbleness and with love. And you better have a relationship to be able to speak into their lives most of the time. You can't just come Bible thumping. You have to have invested something, serve them, love them, uh, walk with them, open up your own vulnerability to them. Let them see you're just not a coming to tell them how messed up they are, but you're going to walk alongside with them, you limping in your right direction as well. You can't just come to somebody and say, I got it all together. However, you don't. That's not going to work. They need to see that you are vulnerable as well. Lecturing a wanderer. Stop. Just stop. They don't need more words. They need an experience from the Holy Spirit. They need a changed heart, which you can't give them. Yes, you're going to have to say something, and yes, you should use the Bible. Proceed with caution, prayerful, slow, loving, open, humble. That's very important. You lose your temper with them, it's over. You're supposed to be responding in the opposite spirit. Here's a quote from a forward email that I usually just delete forwards, but this one escaped. And I'm glad it did. Here's what it says. Atheist speaking. When a person glibly tells me that I'm going to spend eternity in hell while they're going to heaven without emotion and they say it smugly, I am somehow very glad that we're going to separate destinations. Can you imagine? Well, you're going to hell. Think about what that means, what hell is described by the Son of God, how the Son of God describes hell. Need I quote him? Because it gives us all the heebie-jeebies. But to say to another human being, you're going to hell. I relate to that person. I wouldn't want to go to your heaven when you're so uncaring. If you ever say you're going to hell, 
Make sure you got some tears. Make sure your voice is quivering. Because that's a big word. And eternity is a long time. It's all right. We need to move on because I overstated my point. It's so rare that I do that. But <laughs> I see some of you going, moving on, moving on. Uh, last little tidbit for restoring a wanderer. When, the, when a wanderer says, stop calling me, respect their wishes. Sometimes what a wanderer needs is the harsh consequences of his own stupidity. Do you see that? Notice with me in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. Nobody's in his face, but you know what's in his face? The smell of the pig sty in which he's standing. It says, when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, nobody's standing there with an open Bible saying, you bad, you bad, you bad. The, old, the smell, his conscience, his own heart. Relax. Jesus never ran down the street after people. The rich young ruler said, you know what? I'm sorry, this isn't for me. I didn't see Jesus going, oh, please, please come back. Like, you know, running after him saying, what I meant was that it's hard for rich people, but no, you don't change the truth. You don't panic. If somebody's going to walk, they walk. Never give up on them. Make yourself available. But sometimes you can push them a little further because we're so overzealous. Let the fumes do their work. God is loving them more than you. And now just I got to close with the priceless reward. James, I love him. A little inspiration for the rescuers. He's saying, look what's at stake. Here's the paraphrase. And know this, you, whoever manages to turn someone who's sinning off the wrong path will save his soul from death and all those terrible sins will be erased. He says, are you up for that? Does that sound like something you'd like to do? He says, you can So just a couple thoughts to inspire you is number one, he says, you have the capacity to save a person who's drowning, who's ruining their life. You. Now, we all know, as I said, it's God's grace and God alone, of course. But he uses us. Have you ever had somebody hug you with tears in their eyes and say, you saved me because of you? I'm telling you, that is a reason that I have gotten out of bed for 31 years. That's all I care about. My first thought, my very first thought was, wow, I'm a Christian. The very next thought was, dear God, my mother. Dear God, my roommates. I went home the day I got saved to an apartment and pulled out a Bible that I had seen on someone else's bookshelf. I didn't never been to church a day in my life. Never read a verse, never heard it, never met a Christian. Just street preachers. And I pulled out that Bible and I opened it. I didn't even know what was in it. 
And I opened it and I called my roommates over and I'm saying, this is very important. This book, this book is, there's a heaven, there's a hell, there's a Jesus. He died to save us. And I had the book open. I, I, I immediately know, no, I'm saved. People are lost. I got to tell them. Now, not everybody's an evangelist, but in your own calling, in your own gifting, in your own sphere of influence, it won't look like me. It'll look like you. That's why he says, one of you. The way you do it, quietly, without a lot of words, with love, with prayer, raising your kids in the Lord. You won't always be talking, preaching the gospel at Starbucks to strangers you've never met. That's what I like to do. Uh, You don't have to do it that way. So he says, look, you're going to save them from death. What does that mean? Well, uh, sin is an equal opportunity killer. So the wages of sin is death no matter who's doing it. So if you're an unbeliever... That's the ultimate second death you have saved them from. If it's a believer, you have saved them from death and destruction. And it can include physical death. But in this case, a believer cannot die the second death. But he can experience the death of a marriage, the death of trust, the death of a family happiness and unity, the death of a career, the death of your sanity, the death of your virginity, the death of your Health, the death of the dream God had for you, yeah. And he says, someone out there saved them from that. Isn't that amazing? By a word you might say, by a prayer you might pray, by a a loving act of service that you might do to them. He said, isn't that exciting? Don't you want the potential that you have to to do the potential good in this wanderer's life. You can snatch and save them from the fire. That's just so wonderful. And secondly and finally, he says, you can save someone from death and destruction. And then he says, and all their sins will be covered. Now, here's something very interesting. In the Greek, every commentator says the same thing, which I never knew. Every commentator says, Whose sins are covered? Because in the Greek, it's ambiguous. It doesn't say that it's just the wanderer's sin, though it makes sense. Is it the wanderers? Is it the rescuers, they say, or both? Now, here's my opinion. It's both. And here's what one commentator said that I loved. Some of the rescuers are ex-wanderers themselves from the same congregation. Now restored, though these who have done their own fair share of sinning now are working in love to restore others. They are distancing themselves from their own bad behavior as God promises to show mercy to anyone who has been merciful to others. The same covering available to the wanderer will shelter the sins of the rescuer. And there seems to be a hint in the Greek to say, look, look, there's a reward for going after them. Your multitude of sins will be covered. Now, nobody earns atonement with God. That's a free gift. But there's a reward 
There's special favor. Daniel chapter 12 says, you know, um, and I love this, those who turn others so that they are right with God will shine like the stars forever and ever. That there's a special reward for those who make it their business to be looking for souls that need to be turned and prayed for and cared about. The Bible says there will be a distinction for those. And this is what James is hinting at. Do you want that special crown, that special reward, that special shine? Now, let me close with this. Something I left out of the video. And I want to try to bring this all together for you to see why God would say to the soul winner, to those who love people wandering, whether you're lost or whether you're saved or whatever your your thing is, is that you love, you are your brother's keeper. Why would God really want to lavish it out on those particular Christians? Well, we're going to watch the video again. But let me tell you something that you don't know. Priscilla Torado's father was at home and got a phone call. And I read this in the article. The phone call said, Dear God, Priscilla's plane has crashed. Don't get your hopes up. It's on the news right now. It doesn't look like there's any survivors. And Priscilla's dad, the father, turned on the television. And now I want you to watch this from his eyes. All right? Let's do that. Now, he doesn't have the narration, so just cut the narration out. He only sees the pictures. Are failing. The city workers are losing her. And in comes Lenny. President Reagan saw that. State of the Union address sat Lenny next to his wife Nancy in the president's box. And the whole place stood to their feet when they showed this. And they put, gave him a gold medal, the highest award in the Coast Guard service. That is why the Bible speaks of a distinction among his people who return wanderers. The father was helpless. He couldn't do it. <laughs> he... he His heart was like, that's my daughter on the ice. She's going down. Anybody going to do it? And in jumps Lenny. On that day, Jesus said, listen, when you did it for the least of my brothers, you did that for me. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And it says their faces shine like the sun. Let's pray. Father, I know the Holy Spirit has put upon your people's hearts the names and faces of brothers and sisters who have wandered off and are in harm's way. And those who don't know you, 
on the slippery ice and gasping for breath. And your heart, we can only imagine your heart, the great heart of God, burdened. Who will go for us, says the Lord? Who will go for me? Who will have a heart to endure the icy waters and the fight of the person who's in shock, who's resisting, and all the trouble and expense and the risk. Who will do this for me, for my daughters, for my sons? Father, let it be us and this church. Let us get our minds off of ourselves so that we can make room for the burden of heaven. Souls from the house of the Lord and from the world. Souls. Help us to know what to say, how to say it, when to say it, when to be quiet. But first of all, just put the burden on our hearts and we'll start with that. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.